0: From a South American city to Tennessee pastures. One scientist's journey to increasing the sustainability of agriculture.
1: This is AgCast, brought to you by the University of Tennessee Institute of Agriculture.
0: I'm Ginger Rousey with the UT Institute of Agriculture. In each issue of our magazine, Tennessee Landlife and Science, we do a feature called In Profile. It's one of my favorite parts of the magazine because I enjoy learning people's stories Finding out how they got to where they are today and what role agriculture played in getting them there. This issue's in profile introduces us to Renata Nave Oaks. She's an assistant professor in the Department of Plant Sciences who's working to improve the food fed to livestock. She's based at the Middle Tennessee Ag Research and Education Center, but of course, her story doesn't begin there. Here's our conversation. Renata, thanks for joining me by phone for this In Profile. I guess we'll just start at the beginning. You're a native of Brazil, which is, of course, an agricultural powerhouse. Was farming a big part of your childhood?
1: So, I have absolutely no farming background within my family. Really? Like, all my family, like, city people there, São Paulo there, they, like, you know, didn't even know what forages were. (laughs) Okay. So, but. My, uh, my parents, I, I grew up uh, outside of São Paulo in Piracicaba, which is a, uh, a city about, uh, I will say, 100 miles from from the big city. And there, where they have the mo- most prestigious or most famous agriculture university in Brazil. Uh, and it's also a place that people go there you know, to walk, to see animals and all that. And I always did that my whole life. So when I was looking to you know what am I going to do, Uh, when I finished, you know, my high school, I, I knew it would be biological area, but I didn't know exactly what, and I always loved animals, but plants, I was like, you know, and I kind of went there a lot, and I was like, I I think I really like this, you know, I like agriculture, I like coming here, I like being outside, so that, that's kind of what really inspired me to, to look into agriculture, and then once I started, I, I knew that's what I was meant to do, and I, could not see myself doing anything else. <laughs>
0: what did, what did your parents think? You know, as city people, what did they think? Oh, the they were
1: they were very supportive. I mean, right. my parents never uh, for a second told me to do something different. You know, they they always they knew that I should do whatever I was passionate about, and uh, they didn't know a, a lot of what I would I would be doing. But they were supportive. I'm like you know, if you're happy, that's you know that's... Right. That's what matters. <laughs> Were
0: you surprised at the scope of agriculture? Or was it, did your perception of agriculture change pretty quickly?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I kind of, I knew I would be working with plants and with animals, but I didn't really know what I would, you know, what I would do. You know, I didn't know uh, details about it. I, I mean, Brazil has a big agriculture sector, you know, and it's kind of what moves the country forward, if you think about it. Um, so Brazil has always been really strong in agriculture, and that uh, so I, it's always on the news. You always know what's going on, but I, I, of course, I I had no idea, you know, what actually meant, you know, to help producers or to actually, you know, improve uh, agriculture in general. I just thought it was oh, it would be uh, interesting to look at plants and animals, but I didn't mm-hmm. know exactly what that meant, you know.
0: Well, once you got into to your field of study, what what surprised you the most?
1: I majored in agronomy, but like I said, I always liked animal science too. So I knew that I would be working with something that kinda related to both because I, I couldn't see myself just working with plants or just working with animals. Mm-hmm. So in Brazil also we we have one of the biggest beef industries and beef is all around you. Um, and I would I would say ninety five to ninety nine percent of our beef production is great is under grazing because you know feeding is very expensive, corn production is expensive, everything is insanely expensive there. So, uh, I knew that uh, the link between the, the two areas was, was forages. You know that is still I'm going to be working with plants, but to feed animals. Yes. <laughs> so I knew that. I So I feel that it kind of ties everything together for some reason. So that's what is surprising and fascinating at the same time.
0: Well, sure. Now, you've been here since, you've been here at UTIA uh, for four years, is that right? Yeah, uh, 2013.
1: Okay. Yeah, so okay. I finished my fourth year in May. Okay. Uh, so yeah, a little, a little over four years.
0: Um, and what? so since you've been here, what project would you say has been your top priority since joining
1: my goal, my ultimate goal, uh, with my my research program, is to minimize feeding and extend grazing. You know, that's kind of one of my, my goals, and uh, so I always look into ways and systems that could uh, potentially do that, uh, reduce costs of production. Further is integration of crop production in livestock production.
0: Well, it's funny you mention that because I think there's a perception that food produced for livestock actually competes with food produced for human consumption.
1: I actually think that it's completely the opposite. Okay. <laughs> that those two go hand in hand. You know, if you can produce crops. Together, integrated with uh, with your animals, that would be a win win for all, uh, for all sex- sections. Especially in Tennessee, where most of our produce, uh, operations are, are, are farmers, are considered small scale farms.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so basically, the first thing you think is that you are limited in space. So, and also, again, coming from Brazil with my Brazilian background, I know that in Brazil they have been studying this for so long now, you know, the integration of crop and livestock production is very expensive to produce crops there or, you know, to produce livestock. So if you're integrating, trying to take advantage of, of your limited space, um, you're going to be more sustainable and you're going to be more profitable. Uh, and all their, their research is showing you know, the, the success that you can achieve with that. And I'm thinking, you know, here would be the perfect place to make this the truth uh, because we don't have enough space so why not integrate the two and actually be profitable from both and on the same time you're going to be increasing your, your sustainability you're going to be um, coping with environmental benefits and increasing soil quality uh, increasing water quality and on the same time processing from both sectors, you know. So mm-hmm. that's kinda what I've been passionate about and what I, I really look forward
0: to doing more uh, for for the state in general. Yeah. So so practically how does that look if you're on you know limited acreage, how do you raise cattle and grow corn?
1: So for example yeah, I actually have some, some studies on that. So what do they do? You
0: Mean when you talk about I know you, sustainable forages is that sort of what your your what is that what that looks like?
1: Well, yeah, that that would be the one of one way to look at that. Uh, I guess there's several different ways to be sustainable, having graze and uh, longer grazing season, and that's for sure. I mean, the ultimate goal is to extend grazing season, and that would be my ultimate goal. If you know if one producer does that, uh, I, I would think I'm successful because I, I feel that producers in general, not only here. They sometimes they're more worried about doing what their best interests have been doing than actually looking to research and well I should be doing something different to, you know, improve my A lot of good quality forage, a lot of cool season grasses and legumes, a lot of warm season grasses and legumes. Uh, we can grow annual uh, annual forages all year long. You know, you can grow your warm season annuals and your winter uh, cool season annuals and produce, you know, in during the winter time where they can still graze. So there's so many ways that we can uh, extend grazing season or, in my opinion, have year round uh, graze that that is definitely, you know, one way to be sustainable. Or or another, you know, again, you can integrate crop and livestock production if you produce both already uh, and use that area to extend grazing season when you don't have enough forages. Or you can stockpile when you have uh, a time when you have excessive forage, you stockpile for later in the season where you don't have enough and then you can still extend. So there's so many... uh, ways to to be more sustainable, and I feel that not a lot of people take advantage of that, Mm -hmm. of that knowledge, and that is, those uh, type of studies have been done, you know, since the 1950s, and uh, it's not, nothing new, but I feel that it's not fully uh, taken, I I don't think people just take advantage of that knowledge.
0: It's taken a while to catch on, I guess. Exactly. Well, something that is catching on is grass-fed beef. I mean, yeah. that's gr- really growing in interest. I know UT IA has had several conferences related to that. Are you doing sure. research specifically related to grass-fed? Well, beef?
1: And, yeah. So I would say a hundred percent of what I do is grazing uh, focused. You know, mm-hmm. I, I I don't see it other way. Yeah. <laughs> and again, with the, and I I would say that a lot, but you know, with my president background, where all we do is grass-fed beef because there's no other way it would be too expensive to do any other way so i don't see it i don't i guess why you're not going to use your animals to raise their own seeds i mean that it doesn't make total sense for me mm-hmm. i i can't see any other way so yeah um and the, the fact that consumers are becoming more aware of what they're what they're buying they want to ways to become healthier producers cannot run away from that any longer they are gonna have to find a common ground you know uh there's a lot of misconception of what exactly is healthy food i guess and that's sometimes things a little a little passionate about <laughs> because you know a lot of consumers have no clue um that some feeds. you know it doesn't mean that oh, this is grass that is healthier that that has nothing to do with that but they are more aware of what they're intake, and producers should take that into consideration if they want to remain viable. If they want to still be profitable and sustainable, they need to not ignore the. If if they, that doesn't mean it's healthy or not, but they should take that into consideration if they want to remain in a in a system, you know. And, and I feel that in Tennessee, most of our producers are great a lot more. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they still feed hay, but you're, you're still grass pad you right, know. Right. Um, well, but so
0: you I, definitely see some sustainability advantages.
1: Absolutely. No, I mean, that would be the key to sustainability, in my opinion, mm. you know. That would be definitely the key to... And not only that, for a uh, marketing perspective, you're going to... Uh, like, you are increasing your...
0: Product value mm-hmm. when you you know you, when you are adapt to those uh, to those things as well. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess kind of along those lines, you know, where do you see ag production going in the next thirty years? I mean, particularly as it relates to human food consumption. So
1: yeah, I feel that in thirty years, there's no way that a producer that doesn't cope with those changes, they're going to still be viable. Because I don't see consumers turning back. You know, they, like I said, they want to be. They want to make sure of what they are intake. They want to make sure that it's healthy, and they have their standards now. Uh, that there's no way we sh- that producers should ignore anymore. So they, so they consider no way for them to remain viable. So if that is uh, having a, a, an area within their farm that they're gonna towards organic production. They should look into that. Do I think that conventional agriculture is, is done with? I mean it doesn't make sense. I don't. I mean I think quite the opposite. But for a producer's perspective, to remain viable they probably need to take that into consideration, looking at different options to please the consumers because otherwise you know, and you're gonna have a prime for that product that you wouldn't if you didn't have that. Um But I also think that it's very important. I feel that somewhere along those lines, communication has been lost. And I feel that, like I said, there's a lot of misconceptions about what is conventional agriculture, what is organic agriculture. I mean, a lot of producers, a lot of consumers actually think, well, I want organic because it's better for me. And that is not true at all. Mm -hmm. Or I don't want conventional because that is going to, you know, get me from it also not true mm-hmm. so I feel that sh- the, the communication should be strained there so especially within the university the researchers and the producers we I guess uh, we should do a better job communicating uh, and actually explaining what those things are because I actually feel that everyone, every time I talk to a person that has not, no, no agricultural background or even friends of mine, you know, they say, oh, I'm going to just feed my child with organic milk because they, I don't want them to go into puberty when they're, I don't know, <laughs> And I'm like, well, that makes no sense because we are not allowed to give hormones to our cattle. But, so there's a lot of misconceptions and I think communication should be um, a big part of it uh, to, in order to... I guess everybody to grow Mm to get and understand what it is. But producers also need to give those consumers a chance and 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 meet their
0: standards if that's what they want, you know. Mm -hmm. Otherwise it would be hard for them, especially in thirty years, to remain viable. I have really enjoyed talking to you, Renata. Thank you so much. You can read about Renata in our fall issue of Tennessee Land Life and Science, where you can also catch up on many other great things taking place in our institute. Thanks again to Renata Nave Oaks from the UT Department of Plant Sciences. I'm Ginger Rousey. Take care, everyone.
1: For more real life solutions provided by the UT Institute of Agriculture, go to our website at ag.tennessee.edu.